0: Welcome to another episode of CX Talks.
1: My name is Ben Lovren. and I'll be your host today. I'm an Associate Director here at Clarisys and have been involved in several large-scale digital transformation over the years. I'm joined by Helen and Morey, who will introduce themselves in a second. But this is part of a podcast series that we've been running over the last few weeks where we'll be discussing the four key areas that we believe are crucial to a, a successful digital transformation. So those factors being the customer, the business, the technology which you're gonna to use to support your transformation, and the organization. So today we're gonna to be focusing on the organization itself. Before we dive into the detail of that, Helen and Moray, do you want to introduce yourselves please?
0: Yeah, I can do. Hello Ben, hello Helen, great to be here. My name is Moray, I'm one of our product managers and service design specialists at Clarisis. Previously, I've done quite a few merges and acquisitions and post-merge integrations where we focused on bringing multiple small organizations together and embedding a change, forming a large organization. As part of that, I've also focused on designing, building, launching and embedding new products and services.
2: Hi, I'm Helen. Formerly, before joining Consulting, I was a teacher. So that meant that change management and that capability was a natural alignment for me to want to develop and Brought through a lot of the same transferable skills. Currently I'm a managing consultant at Clarisys, and since joining Clarisys, I've helped develop our change capability internally and been involved in a number of global transformations both for technical and process change in the private sector organisations and more recently I'm working on a service transformation in the public sector.
1: Welcome both. Thanks for joining me. So today, let's dive into the detail then. So so when an organisation embarks on a digital transformation, what really matters to them? What's going to enable them to be successful? Why does it matter? And ultimately, what can we do to help our clients be successful? Let's start with the what then. So one of the key elements for me is to be clear on the value that you're trying to achieve from the digital transformation. And you get buy in from all the parties, both internally and externally to the organisation.
0: So let's have a short conversation about that. Maureen. I think from my perspective, it's really important to ensure that everyone pulls in the same direction and having that clarity on the value and and the outcome that you're trying to achieve gives everyone that North Star to walk towards. Also, the value that you're trying to achieve is normally articulated from the business case of actually introducing the change as well. So the good news is that hopefully you have clarity on what you're trying to achieve and the value even before you embark on your change journey.
2: I think... One thing that's important to note here as well is being honest with the parties involved. So quite often everyone talks about transformation as being a great thing that's going to happen and that's going to make their lives a lot easier. But actually, not always. There's going to be some things that are a bit more of a challenge, particularly initially. And I think a good way to get this buy-in is to be honest about the pros and cons and the challenges that people will face as they're going through the journey.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important to be clear on the value that you're trying to achieve. Of course technology digital transformation is going to allow you to shed some of those outdated processes and it's going to allow you to shed some of the legacy technology you've had in place but it's also about adopting the new technology and reimagining what you can now do as part of it it's not just a case of okay the the workarounds that you had to do in in your old system are going to go away that's going to make your lives easier it's actually what can you now do as a result of the new technology and i think it's really crucial in presenting that vision, being clear on the value to your organization, which is going to allow them to reimagine the the future, as opposed to removing some of the pain that they've already
0: had over the last few years. Yeah, I was just thinking, when we talk about organizations, right, I think it's important to remember that the organization is made up of individuals. So people have to understand what that value means for them. So the standard question of what is in it for me is really important to consider as well, because we might talk about the value to organization and stakeholders and talk about quite a grand scale, but sometimes it's difficult to translate in the front line of what that means for the employees. And I think it's really important that they understand the value that it's going to bring to them as well, so that there's less friction in actually introducing that change and embedding it correctly.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that actually brings us on to the next point around really understanding the the people that are involved and the the current pain and the feeling around the organisation before you embark on this transformation. For example, what's the general success rate of the previous projects that the organisation have undertaken? Is there a real good feeling of momentum that actually we've had a really good successful project that went live a a few months ago? And if you, you have the momentum and the backing of the people to go into your next one, Or actually has there been some bad experience around, which means we should take our time and make sure that we're operating at a pace which is comfortable for people. What what do you think about that, Helen?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think also the current pain and feeling element of it for stakeholders is quite often they have a very sort of centrist view of what they're looking at. So they might not understand this current pain in other areas of the organisation that this particular change or transformation is trying to help. So uh, I think it's important as a way of communicating that back out to the organisation to say, look, maybe you're not feeling this particular pain, but there are colleagues of yours that are. And by you doing things slightly differently, you're going to help them, even if you don't see an immediate value or change to your way of working.
0: I think that's a really good perspective, because actually what you're doing then is you're focusing again on the individual. And I think whenever we introduce change, it's important to think about how the individual is going to experience this change, because that person could be going through three, four, five. 10 different changes that we might not be aware of, especially in very large organisations. You could just be one of 10 programmes that is introducing change and that person is being pulled into 10 different directions. And as a result of that, I think change fatigue can be a very real thing and we have to be very mindful and show empathy and understanding that the individual that we're introducing the change to might be going through multiple journeys.
2: Yeah, and if you're experiencing change fatigue, even if you're delivering something that's going to make their lives incredible, they're still not going to be warm and open to adopting it if they're at that point in their journey.
0: Yeah, so there's an element around prioritising then as well. Even if you think we have all these great initiatives and they're going to deliver tonnes of value, if you try to do too much too fast, it's not going to be able to actually embed, which is the core because you only really get good return on investment once those behaviours and changes embed.
2: It's quite an interesting point at this point in time because Agile principles and Agile way of working is such a current way of, of approaching any work that businesses do and particularly how they evolve and part of agile is sort of delivering little and often and delivering value whereas if you look at that from a change perspective the interesting thing is that then could lead to change fatigue as a natural outcome of delivering lots of things regularly so i think there's been some investigations into this about how you could probably mitigate the challenges of agile delivery in an organisation and help alleviate some of that change fatigue. Because instead of it being like a big rollout every time or a huge big transformation, it can be little things that aren't such an impact to the individual to help minimise that sort of overwhelming feeling of significant change.
1: Going on to the next point, and I think that this is often underplayed actually. So having an honest conversation with yourself around whether your organisation has the the required capability to deliver the change. So often large organizations were asked for the help from firms such as ourselves to get a consultancy to fill crucial roles, but we don't know the business as well as the business does. And we do need key people around the organization to be available to support us and We also need those people to know enough about how to deliver successful change in a project world as well so i think having an honest conversation with yourself about whether you have the required capability to deliver successfully is crucially important
0: i completely agree and i think what we often find is that as you rightly said we never know the business better than the business does and also we don't try to but being experts in transformation and embedding change is a slightly different skill set because often what we find is that when we work with organizations. They have excellent internal support services. So they might have their internal training, their internal comms, people partners, etc. But there's a difference in providing ongoing support to actually introducing something large, new, that cuts across the entire organization. And some large organizations have these functions internally, and they've been very successful. But more often than not, especially with the rapid amount of change that we're experiencing through technology disruption, but also COVID, it's very important to find partners, all the skills internally that allow you to keep up with the pace and also respond to changes. So one example could be, Helen and I some time ago worked on a post-merge integration where COVID hit halfway through the project and actually through our experience in delivering change programs globally across multiple different time zones, allowed us to very quickly adapt the delivery of the project and actually do that successfully as well, whereas some organizations might not have had that experience across multiple time zones and different geographies and they might have found it more difficult to respond to it so it's about finding the right skills and making sure that that gives you confidence to navigate the uncertainty and it's essentially then comes back down to a question of what level of risk you're willing to accept because the reality is most organizations probably can do the change project but it's in a question of how quickly do you want to realize that value what risk are you willing to take and what investment do you want to make as well.
2: I think also on that point, whether or not the organisation has the capability internally to deliver this is not always the challenge. I think quite often these areas or these functions have a day job, so they have to be able to support their staff and their employees in their ongoing day-to-day activities. So when you're asking them to do on top of that some of these larger transformation projects, it can be a real stretch for them. And they don't have the capacity rather than they don't have the capability to deliver what is required for the scale of some of these transformations that are ongoing.
0: Completely agree.
1: Great, okay. The final point before we move on to to the how, how you can be equipped to overcome some of these challenges and be successful here is around alignment across the organisation. So making sure that actually before you embark on a change, you're very clear across the organization of what you're trying to achieve, who are the decision makers, what is the right pace for the change as well, and just getting the basics right around the governance to make sure everyone is completely clear of where we are, where we're trying to get to, and when is it going to happen.
0: I find that often when we build a plan, obviously those plans change, and the reality is that we learn new things, things happen, and we need to adapt, and actually good governance allows you to stay on track and stay connected. and navigate the uncertainty with confidence. If you don't have that governance, what can easily happen is that you get different interpretations of the truth or that different parts of organization move into different directions. And the cost of recovery for that gets larger the longer the project actually continues. So by having good governance, you ensure that any kind of divergence in what you're trying to achieve is minimal. And that allows you to actually reduce any kind of risk uh, as much as possible, while also reducing the potential cost implications of diverging in your delivery.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the elements that can really help that is having that agreed vision up front that we talked in, the value that you're aiming to achieve and the buy-in from everyone. If you can translate that into a way that can be communicated out effectively and you've got almost sort of a gatekeeper of what messages are going out to the organization, that can really help in making sure that there is a single truth going out. Everyone's aligned on what to expect and therefore can all pull together in the same direction.
0: Yeah, that vision, I think then, also translates into the importance of reprioritization and decision-making. Because what will often happen is that something unexpected will happen, and then you have to potentially make a compromise. And being very clear on your vision allows you to make a compromise in the right way while still achieving the outcome. If you're not clear on the outcome that you're trying to achieve and having the governance around it, you could then increase the risk of making suboptimal decisions which lead you down the wrong track. So I think having that clear vision is absolutely key.
1: I think the point around decision-makers is key. I think in order to be successful and operate at a pace that's going to allow you to stay in touch or get ahead with your competition, you need to make decisions quickly. they have to be the right decisions for the right reasons. So yes, you do need an appointed decision maker for various areas of the transformation to be available and to be visible. But I think it's really important to bring those decision makers together as soon as possible, because when we think of systems thinking, actually, we can't just make decisions in isolation without making sure that the decision you're making doesn't detrimentally affect another team or the ultimate vision we're trying to achieve. So Where we've been quite successful previously is, yes, we do need appointed decision makers for specific parts of the solution, but let's get them together regularly and talk about what the decision means in the scheme of the overarching vision
0: and make sure we're making the decisions for the right reasons. I think that ties well into a point around thinking end-to-end and the point you mentioned around systems thinking, because especially in large organizations, if you look at a specific department or a specific function, it could be that a decision you make for them is optimal just for them. But it's actually detrimental to someone further down the line like finance operations for example or servicing so you need to be really clear in making sure that your decisions are in line with the outcome you're trying to achieve and they work end-to-end and that might mean that some individual team might get a slightly less optimal decision output but it's the best thing for the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve and i think those governance forms and as you said ben where you get all the senior leaders together to ensure you have an end-to-end view And a common version of the truth is absolutely key in enabling that.
2: We talked about the fact that this is part of a wider series around CX. And I think one thing that's probably quite important to mention here is that we're focusing probably on the change management for internal users or employee experience. The project that Mori referenced previously that he and I worked on a few years ago was around their vision was about delivering an excellent customer experience. But we were accountable for delivering good employee experience to make sure that they could facilitate a good customer experience. So to your point, Maury, about making sure that you're not just doing a change that's optimal for one particular group, actually a good way of looking at that is aligning it to that original vision. So, for example, if your vision is to make an excellent customer experience and we're looking at the employee experience of how we can facilitate them to do their jobs brilliantly to then in turn deliver an excellent customer experience, you're less likely to end up working in silos and you're less likely to be t- making decisions that only benefit one or other groups within the organization. And actually you're looking at the end goal of that customer experience vision.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. And as our listeners would be aware from the series that in order to be successful with digital transformation, we're not just looking at the technology, we're not just looking at the, the customer, we're not just looking at the, the business. The whole organization needs to be pulling towards this change and aligned to the vision that we're trying to achieve. And actually, One of the key success factors is, are our people, your people, able to make the most out of the the transformation? So will the transformation equip the team to make the right decisions with the customer in mind? Do they have all of the data at hand, which makes sure they can focus on the customer, they can deliver an even better experience? And all of those pillars have to land in order for the organisation to be empowered to do that. So, So I think it's a really good segue, actually, into talking about what we can do to help Actually and, and we we try to keep it quite simple here at Clarisys and we have a, a four stage model that that we try to implement really just to give us that North Star that those guiding principles to make sure that we're asking ourselves the right questions to deliver a successful change. Helen, I know you were you were quite involved in the evolution of the model. Do you want to just give us a quick overview of the, the simple four steps and then we'll dive into some of the detail?
2: What we looked at was Trying to articulate what we do as an organisation in the simplest way possible for our clients to be able to understand what value they would be getting from us were they to ask us to support any of their big transformations from a change management perspective. So those four steps start with shape. So shaping the change, which is looking at the vision, aligning the business, making sure we're all headed in the same direction and we've got the same end goal. Creating the change, that's our second step. And this is sort of understanding the current state of the organization and how ready they are for the change, as well as then looking at some of our broader change management tools, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute and making sure that they are tailored to the organization and the nature of the change and designing what would be required to then enable this transformation. Then we move on to delivering the change. So this is once we've designed all of our approaches. We start implementing against these and we're aligning with the technical and strategic delivery work streams to make sure that we're supporting each other in the right way. And we'll be iterating at this point to make sure that the interventions and strategies that we've designed upfront are actually effective and that we are providing the the right interventions for the business at the time. And the final one we have is embed the change. So we want to make sure that if we leave from a transformation, once the project is closed down, that all of this great work isn't lost. So we want to make sure that there's a a good transition into business as usual and that the organisation is ready to continue working in the new way.
1: Great. Thanks, Helen. So maybe we can bring this to life a little bit and talk about some of the examples that we've used through some of those stages and where we've been successful using that. So if we look at shape the change to start with, Moray, in your experience today, what have people done around this area to really set the project on the right standing to be successful at this first shape stage?
0: In my experience, the starting point, and Helen alluded to this, is to start with a change vision. So obviously, this change will be part of a larger transformation. And from that, we will articulate a specific goal and outcome and a vision that we're trying to achieve and that vision will essentially enable everything else that comes afterwards to ensure it's tailored to that outcome so normally what we would do is we would work with the senior leaders within the organization that are impacted by the change that have a vested interest in it to help shape that vision and then test it as well with individuals in the organization to make sure it's meaningful to them as well and that we can rally around it And once we have that, we can then go a bit more into detail of the landscape, the needs, the problem we're trying to solve, etc.
1: I think the vision is crucial, but I think being able to measure the vision is also really important. In my experience previously, organisations have gone off into four or five day visioning workshops, etc. Set a beautiful vision, which is on beautiful presented slide decks, etc. And that's the last time you see it. So actually, what are the key results you're going to measure yourselves against along the way? So make sure that everybody that's contributing towards the project along the way can say, Let's really measure ourselves against the strategic impact. So is it revenue growth? Is it the lifetime customer value? Is it the time to market for new products, et cetera? Making sure that whatever we're doing throughout the the state of the project, we can make sure that we're making decisions that are based on those key results that we're trying to achieve. I think that helps with the buy-in as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think when we go into an organization, we need to start by understanding the levers of the organizations that drive those KPIs and the metrics, because through introducing that change, we would normally have success metrics we would look at what are the dials that we want to change. And of course, as part of looking at the landscape, we then look at the as-is and then jumping ahead a tiny bit now, but once we've delivered the change, we then want to look and see how we've actually changed the dial on that. But that's why it's really important at the beginning to make sure that we understand the key metrics, the objectives and key results early on.
2: One thing as well at this point is that you're validating the need for change so you might have an input or an impetus that leadership feel they want to do this thing but actually this is the point where you can actually check that the direction you're trying to head in is the right one or that there is a need for this to be this transformation in the organisation.
1: So we've got a very well defined vision and we've got some key results and metrics that we're going to measure ourselves against and then we're going to create the change So so what do we do now?
2: This is around understanding the organisation at a more granular level. So you're then getting onto the ground and talking to people working day to day, understanding the stakeholder groups that will be impacted by this transformation and then understanding how their work will be impacted. So we quite often use a change impact assessment. We have standard tools for this. This is quite a common change management tool. But I think at this point as well, it's important to understand that there are certain things that you will always want to know, like how the specific processes of somebody's work is going to change. But you also might need to know a few other more specific things depending on the organization. For example, the customer impact, that might be something that you want to layer in as well. And then from that, once you've understood the gap from the current state of the world to what you think it's going to look like, you can then start to design the approaches and the strategies. We call it a change approach, which is a high level view of all the things that you would need to consider. So for example, communications and training are a very common thing that people think is the be all and end all of change management. We tend to prefer to call it engagement and enablement. Engagement because it's two way. So what's your approach or your strategy for either getting messages out to the organization and also getting their feedback back to you so that you can incorporate that into your designs. And then also enablement. So how do you make sure that the capabilities, the skill sets, the technology, everything is there for users to be able to actually be capable of doing their roles in the new world.
1: Yeah, and I think this is crucial. I think the change impact assessment that we'll be producing here, yes, it should reference the customer and how the change is going to impact the customer. It should portray the impact that the change will have on the organisation in their future roles. But actually, what are the mechanics? What do we need to do to prepare them to go into project mode as well? So are there sessions around backlog management, prioritisation, UAT, some of those skill sets that organizations sometimes take for granted, but can really trip you up. So I think we also have to assess the impact and the time taken to train people up to execute successfully on the change as well. Okay, so great. So we've got our vision set out, we've got our metrics, we understand the impact that the change is going to have on our customers and our internal customers as well. Then we go to delivery as well. So what can we do to make sure we're successful at this stage?
0: Do everything that Helen just said. (laughs) (laughs) There are obviously different ways in which this can take shape. So I think the key thing I would say is that delivering the change can happen at the same time as creating the change as well and iterate. So you wouldn't create all the change and then start delivering. I think one of the key things, and Helen touched on this, is the engagement. And obviously you want to engage people early on as opposed to a week before you go live. So it's really important to create the right networks, the right change champions, to look at the kind of training that you want to do. It's also worth assessing what kind of launch capabilities, DevOps capabilities the organization has as well. So uh, sometimes we would be managing a lot of that uh, service transition, UAT, Benny just touched on them, the cutover weekends, that kind of stuff. But often organizations have those capabilities internally as well, in which case we would work together with them and advise them on how to do it. Because obviously at some point we will leave and we want to make sure that those capabilities exist internally and we have successfully worked ourselves out of a job. So it's actually a very good stage to look at the existing capabilities that you've identified earlier on and leveraging them throughout the delivery of the project so that the organisation is not entirely reliant on you in delivering the change.
2: And I think here is where you might see something if you are delivering the technology change in an agile approach, so sprints or scrum work, and you're delivering value in small increments often. This is particularly the point where you would need to align the change management strategy to that cycle of delivery across the technology as well. But aside from that, you can also deliver change with agile principles, which we recommend very strongly as an organization. Clarisys has agile principles through to its core, but we do like to take something like this and make sure that we are delivering iteratively. So not just designing the change strategy upfront and then never straying from that approach, but actually making sure that we flex with the needs of the organization, testing how our interventions are being received by the organization and making sure that we're doing the best job we can throughout.
1: And then, and then lastly, in our four-stage approach, and often the most neglected stage of the digital transformation, is embedding and monitoring the change as well. So we're live, we've, we've successfully delivered a new project, but then the work isn't done there yet, is it, Murray?
0: No, I think, and this goes back to the key metrics that you mentioned earlier, Ben, I think we want to measure the impact that the change has had. And often we'll find as well that we'll have launch dashboards to actually look at how we've we completed the training, what performance indicators have changed as a result of the change, and when are we actually exceeding the baseline. Because normally what we'd expect is that performance or beliefs will go down directly after introducing a change because people have to get used to something new. But through good change management, that dip is very shallow and very short. If you don't have good change management, then you know what can happen is that Uh, that performance actually sinks below the baseline as a standard which is obviously the worst case scenario that you're trying to avoid so measuring the impact of the change is really key and then uh, embedding it so that the organization isn't reliant on you as a consultant is absolutely key
2: yeah i think the one of the primary steps for this is making sure that there are owners that's the thing that often gets dropped it's like okay we've got all the processes documented who is going to be the one that's maintaining these live documents in theory, rather than them becoming static reference materials that never change as the organization then continues to develop.
0: Yeah, I found on the project where Helen and I worked together, one of the really good tools for this was to look at the roles and responsibilities or even like a racing matrix to look at, yes, during the transformation, maybe the program or the project held some of these responsibilities and and owned some of this change, but we need owners in the organization to monitor, develop and grow the things as well once we have left and we found that actually a phased approach where people in the organization slowly pick up more responsibilities in order to drive that change forwards long after we've left has worked really really well in really embedding the change.
1: And, and on that point around long after we've left, it's probably time for us to think about wrapping up today. So, <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. This has been an overview of the key considerations from an organizational perspective for digital transformation. So we've discussed the, the what and the how, i.e. the tools and techniques that you can use to be successful in your transformation. This is the penultimate episode within our series. So the next one that you'll hear from us is how to ensure you think about the right technology decisions as part of your digital transformation. But finally, I just want to say thank you to Moray and to Helen for joining us today. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, everyone.
2: Yeah, really fun. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you, listeners, for listening. And we look forward to welcoming you on another episode of CX Talks.